You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Hello, my name is Foster, and today's reading is from Psalm 58. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a miktam. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No. In your heart you devise injustice, and your hands meet out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears. That will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away, When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked, then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, let's pray. We need it, right? Let me pray for us. God in heaven, as uh, I mentioned earlier, we, we want to see your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And often we focus on the parts of your kingdom that feel good, uh, but we recognize that because of sin and injustice and wickedness, reigning on earth, that we also need you, God, to come and do some pretty hard things, do some judgment. And so, God, we pray that we would be people who are aligned with your heart as we study this psalm, that we might be people who pray as you would have us pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to tell you guys a couple of stories, three in fact, as we get started here. Any of you guys seen that movie, The Last King of Scotland? Won a few Academy Awards, pretty great movie. Uh, And it's based on the true story of a Ugandan dictator named Idi Amin. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. He was this brutal dictator. He persecuted Christians. He was responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands of people. 
And when you see how this man ruled, and it's depicted pretty well in that film, you cannot help but get angry. But the question is, what did God think about Idi Amin? Or what did, how did God feel about him? And more importantly, what would God do about it? Second story, how many of you guys have seen the film Spotlight? Anybody? That also won, uh, man, you guys haven't seen these movies. This one also won an, uh, a few Academy Awards, and it tells the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered a massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Catholic diocese there. Tragic, tragic story. And as a result of their journalism and their reporting, uh, one key priest in that diocese was finally exposed, and he was tried publicly, not just within uh, the church, and his name was John Gagan. And he was known by his diocese as a pedophile for decades. This went on. And rather than removing him from his job, rather than removing his ordination or removing him from power... They actually allowed him to continue on. They chose, instead of removing him, they chose to just kind of move him from church to church to church, and this went on for over 35 years. And he was able to harm over 130 boys as young as the age of four. Tragic. If that doesn't make you angry, something's wrong. But the question is, how did God feel about John Gagan? And more importantly, what would he do about it? Last story. Uh, this one actually hits a little bit closer to home. This is a story that uh, Fraser, who was up here earlier, he told me about a colleague of his who was murdered in June, only about a month ago, a man named Gret Glyer. I think I'm pronouncing that right. This was a guy who loved Jesus, he had a wife, he had a couple of small children, he was actively involved in his church. He was also the CEO of a company that, a nonprofit that was doing justice called Donor C. And their whole thing is they connect people who give to the people and the projects that they give to. They help donors to see. And their pretty audacious goal was to um, eliminate extreme poverty on earth. And so this is the kind of person that this CEO was, this guy Gret. He was righteous. He was living out the kingdom of God in the world. And you can't help but get angry when you hear about his murder. But what does God think about the murderer? How does God feel toward the murderer? And more importantly, what would God do about it? And that's really what we're exploring today as we're exploring this song. What do you do in situations like the ones that I've just talked about? What do you do, for example, when world leaders attack neighboring countries without cause? What do you do when there's a mass shooting and the killer's still at large? What do you do when sexual abusers continue without hindrance? What do you do? And the answer is, we pray. We pray. And our prayers should include curses. That's what I'm going to propose to you today. I believe our prayers should include curses. So let's calibrate our hearts now and our prayer lives with God's word as we see it here in Psalm 
58. So we're going to look at curses, what they are, why we have trouble with them, and we do, (laughs) amen, and then why we need them. So what they are, why we have trouble with them, and why we need them. Let's start with what are Psalms of curses, and we're going to use Psalm 58 as a classic example of that. And it begins, Psalm 58 begins with an introduction. It says, for the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a miktam. So this is a miktam, which is, we think anyway, a, a way of saying that it's handcrafted, that this was a handcrafted work of David. This is his poem. This is his song. And David was the king of Israel. He was the representative ruler of God's people. And the reason why that's relevant for us as we're studying this today is that it helps us to see that his songs aren't just personal worship songs. They are that, but they're also speaking to the heart of God, and they're speaking to David's role as he's leading and guiding all of God's people. So when we see David cursing the wicked, he's showing that he loves what God loves, which is righteousness, and he also hates what God hates, which is wickedness. And likewise, David is leading all of God's people to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. So this is a handcrafted work of David, and it's not just a prayer, it's also a song. Did you notice that? It's a song. And so he gave it to their music leader, their their worship leader, and he said he wanted it to be sung to the tune of Do Not Destroy, kind of a strange title for a tune, right? We don't fully know what that meant, but to me, what's most remarkable about the fact that this uh, description is here, is the fact that this was sung. Can you imagine you come into church service next Sunday and Nick's up here and he's like, let the wicked be like a slug that melts away, you know? You know what I'm saying? But this is is a great church growth strategy, right? If, If we were to sing songs of curses every Sunday. But seriously, Nick and I were actually thinking about this, and we were trying to figure out some songs to sing today, and we couldn't find any that we have ever sung at Trinity that include these kinds of curses, probably because it's so foreign to us and so uncomfortable for us. And yet Israel, they sang this stuff. This this was their songbook. They didn't seem to be uncomfortable about it at all. So let's see now what the song says. Uh, It begins by identifying the wicked and then describing what they are like. So it begins with verses 1 and 2, violence. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? Know in your heart you devise injustice and your hands meet out violence on the earth. So the wicked here are called Rulers. For those of you guys who have the translation that we have in our seat backs here in the pews, uh, you may have noticed that it actually uses the same term that Psalm 82 used last week. It uses the term gods. A number of translations render rulers as gods. Now, if you missed it last week when we covered Psalm 82, or you're kind of still scratching your head over it, which is fair, let me just kind of recap that uh, and summarize what we said. I, we talked about the fact that there are these rebellious spiritual beings 
who are sometimes called little g gods in the Old Testament. And they were there, and then, of course, here as well in some translations. And those unjust spiritual beings are the powers influencing unjust human beings. That's the picture that the Scriptures give us. And Psalm 82, again, it showed us uh, these spiritual beings on trial in God's heavenly court along with those evil rulers, their, their earthly counterparts. And there's a similar motif going on here that was going on in Psalm 82. Uh, that these rulers that are being mentioned here, since sometimes that's translated as lowercase g gods, these are probably both the human beings and the spiritual beings who oppose God that are being referred to. The rulers that don't speak justly, that don't judge with equity, those who don't do those things. Instead, they, they come up with new ways of committing injustice and dishing out violence, it said. And then they're described here in more detail, and we'll just call this the venom, verses 3 through 5. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Verse 3 is crucial for us understanding these curses. Verse 3 names these evil rulers as the wicked. Who are the wicked? You may have been wondering that. Uh, as, as Christians, we know that all human beings are fallen and sinful, and we all do wicked things. We're all capable of wickedness. And so does this refer to all people? Is this referring to Christians included? Or is this another category of people? Uh, the word for wicked here literally means someone who does not honor God, someone who does not fear Him, someone who does not love Him. And so in other words, the wicked are not Christians in, in the truest definition of, this, of what a Christian is. Uh, true Christians are people who do honor God, people who do fear Him, people who do love Him. We don't do it perfectly, no. We're in a process of growing more and more and more, but we do. We, we know Him, we love Him, we fear Him, we honor Him. And so, the, uh, actually, the, the Christians are the ones who would later be called righteous in, I think it's in verse uh, 7. So, uh, when we think about righteousness in a minute here, uh, we need to also kind of get our categories straight because we can kind of tend to get all mixed up in a bunch over the issue of righteousness. Like, well, I'm not righteous, am I? I, I still mess up. I still sin. But this is not talking about people who God merely declares to be righteous later. It's actually people who do what is right. So that's the contrast. So contrast those who do what is right with those wicked people that are being talked about here. The wicked people are those who go astray even from the womb. They never turn back from their wicked ways. These are people who are full of venom, it said, very graphic imagery. In other words, they're dead set on spreading lies. It's as though 
these venomous snakes as well. It talks about them being deaf to the charmer's song. They won't listen. They won't listen. In other words, they're so settled on their own lies that they won't heed God's instruction. They're set in their ways. And this is the essence of all wicked people, especially wicked rulers, these two categories of venom and violence, or lies and injustice without regard for God or His ways. And so as God's people, we want to have God's heart, and we don't want this kind of evil to go on in the world. We want God to come and enact His vengeance. And so let's look at that now. We'll look at vengeance and then vindication will close us out in the time in the psalm. Vengeance. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. This is a prayer for God's vengeance, and, and, and it begins by asking him to tear out the fangs of the lion's mouth. In other words, to take away what the wicked used to harm the righteous. Take away whatever it is that they use to harm the righteous, whether that's their power or even their own weapons, as it, as it describes, of allowing their arrows to fall short. And we've seen this happen over and over and over again on the world stage, right? We've seen this happen where uh, people who we thought would remain untouched somehow eventually get taken down. But the prayer for God's vengeance doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just asking God to stop the wicked. It actually goes further. There's a request for God to kill the wicked before they can do harm. Verses 8 and 9 describe that. And so praying that they would, be, that they would die like a slug in the sun or like a, a stillborn child who never sees the sun, that they would be like a ceramic vessel that's destroyed before the heat can set it in place, before the kindling has even caught fire. And so we pray that God would kill the wicked, not for our own sake, not for the sake necessarily only for the righteous, but for the sake of God, for the sake of God's purposes on earth, for the sake of His kingdom coming and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And the result of all of that is God's vindication. Verses 10 and 11. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. It's probably the most uncomfortable verse in the whole psalm. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. We have to remember that the wicked are first and foremost opposed to God and His ways. And so we don't seek vengeance for ourselves, but for God to get vengeance over His enemies. And when He does, we can actually celebrate that. This is good when God's justice prevails on earth. But the picture of vindication that we're given is 
definitely not meant to take place in the present, and nor is it something that's meant to be primarily literal. So here's what I mean. When you think about the bathing uh, of your feet in, in the blood of the wicked, right, that's a great example of what I'm talking about. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to bathe your feet in the blood of the wicked? Amen? Let's celebrate, right? Rah, rah, rah. No. The point is that the life of the wicked, represented by their blood, the life of the wicked has been taken away, and the life of the righteous has been vindicated. That's the point. And we're directed not to today, not to bathing our feet in the blood of the wicked today, but to the day of final judgment, which will prove which will vindicate that God is the one who rules justly, that God is the one who has the supreme power to do so. And that that day, that day of, of final judgment is actually depicted in many, many different places in the Bible. My family's reading the book of Revelation right now, and so we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of those scenes depicted. But one of my favorite spots is in the book of Isaiah. Verse uh, 20, 24, 21, it says, On that day, on the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven. Those are the evil spiritual beings. He will punish them, and then he will punish the kings of the earth on the earth. Those are the evil human rulers. That is the day that this is depicting. And as the psalm indicates to us, on that day, everyone is going to get what they deserve. The just punishment or reward for their actions. Jesus describes this in Matthew 25, 46. He says, these, that's the wicked, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, sometimes when we live righteously, when we live for God, sometimes that causes us to face severe suffering for the sake of living for Him. Sometimes we do uh, experience unjust punishment for for living righteously. Sometimes we, we experience unjust consequences for living righteously. And when that happens, you might come to the conclusion, well, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe... It's not worth it to live righteously. Maybe it's not worth it to live for God. Maybe I should just go pursue something else. But the day of the Lord will prove that it is worth it. The day of the Lord will vindicate the righteous, those who have lived for God. And so verses 10 through 11 isn't celebrating the joys of swimming in unrighteous blood, okay? That's not what it's celebrating. It's celebrating that God has finally made all things right on earth, proving that he is actually worth living for. And so that concludes our time in the Psalms of cursing. You guys feel all warm and fuzzy inside after that? Okay. Okay, let's take a quick breather, and now let's begin to look at why This is so difficult for us. Why do we have trouble with cursing? I'll give you a few reasons. First is that we we don't have a blessing, cursing worldview. We just don't think in these categories. But we know that 
ancient peoples definitely did, and, and probably most cultures on earth today do. And we know that God relates to His people. Uh, he relates to human beings in this way, in these categories, blessings and cursings. Go do a word study in your Bible on bless and curse, and you'll find it's pervasive. It's, it's everywhere. And so perhaps we might reconsider <laughs> the fact that we don't have a blessing-cursing worldview. We also don't think that anger, wrath, and judgment is loving. Amen? Anybody here think anger, wrath, and judgment is loving? Okay, nobody raise their hand. Okay. We, we think that these things are always bad. Because when people behave in those ways, when people have a lot of anger or wrath or judgment, we think, well, they're, they're mean. They're mean. We don't want God to be like that. But we have to remember, God is not like us. God is not like us. He's not mean. He's not unfair. His judgments are always just. His anger is always appropriate. And God's love is always completely pure. And we have to also remember that anger is defending something that you love. Anger is defending something that you love. And so God's judgment of the wicked and His reward for the righteous is actually one of His greatest expressions of His love. And since all of human history will result in His judgment, we should actually love God's judgment. That is where history is headed. Another reason why we have trouble with cursing is we're bad judges. Can I just get an amen? Amen? We're bad judges. We want people to receive justice when they wrong us, but when we do wrong, we want mercy. Amen? And we know this about ourselves, even if it's just subconsciously, we know this. And so I think we have trouble praying curses in some sense because we feel like hypocrites. Like, who am I to judge? How dare I pray a curse onto someone else? But what we have to remember is that praying like this psalm, that these prayers are ultimately for God to be the judge, not for us. In fact, that's a huge part of what we're doing when we pray psalms like this one. We're entrusting justice to the just judge, not to ourselves. Another reason why we have trouble cursing, we get stuck on forgiveness. We get stuck on forgiveness. Now, getting stuck on forgiveness, that's not a bad place to get stuck, okay? So don't hear me wrong. That's a pretty good place to be. Uh, and Jesus repeatedly commands us to forgive. So we should forgive. It's beautiful. It's healing. It's restorative and renewing. We should forgive those who have sinned against us. But we should also want their evil to end. We should also want their evil to end. You don't need me to tell you this if you've ever been abused or raped or robbed or had some horrible thing like that happen to you. You get it. You know that forgiveness isn't the only thing that you need to work through with the Lord. You also want that injustice to end. Forgiveness isn't the final destination. For example, with Gret Geiler's widow, that guy I mentioned to you earlier, 
No, she, she needs to work through that forgiveness. But it's, it's a crucial, because it is a crucial stop along the way, but it should also lead to prayers that God would enact justice and that he would prevent that person from continuing to do the wrong that they have done. Another reason why we have trouble with cursing is because Christians have a different relationship with our enemies. Our, the way that we are called to relate to our enemies is different than the way that David, who wrote the psalm that we looked at, uh, was called to relate to his enemies. You know, we talked about that day of the Lord off in the future. We have to think about what are we supposed to do now? What about our enemies now? How does the church relate to the wicked now, or, or is the church supposed to bathe our feet in the blood of the wicked today? Are we supposed to, you know, arm the church with weapons and then send everybody out to go enact justice as we see fit on earth? No. You guys who have been around for our study in Matthew's gospel, you've seen this. We've seen how Jesus' kingdom is upside down. And we've seen how today Christians are invited to combat evil not by doing evil, not by doing violence, but by doing good. And Jesus tells us, love your enemies, right? Love your enemies. Our relationship with our enemies is different than David's was. In fact, the Apostle Paul echoes Jesus' teaching. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The deepest desire for the Christian is to love our enemies and overcome their evil with good. That's our deepest desire. And so does that mean that we can't pray Psalms of cursing? I don't think so. I, I think that Paul here in this Romans passage is teaching us how to interact with our enemies, not how to pray for them. I believe that we can and should pray curses on the wicked, but I do think that there are a lot of nuances to that, okay? So we have to be really careful as we pray this way. Let's think of some nuance here with the final reason why we have, to, we have trouble cursing, and that is we know that God wants to show mercy to sinners. We know that God wants to show mercy to sinners. The clearest place that we see God's desire to show mercy is when Jesus is hanging on the cross, when he is taking our punishment when he's dying for our sins in our place. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Incredible mercy. And so the deepest desire for the Christian is not that God would whack the wicked, but that he would save them. Both of those two avenues bring an end to their evil. In fact, a lot of times, I'll even pray something like, either save them, God, or slay them. Because I know I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy. I know that I don't deserve 
His mercy. I know that my actions never warranted God's favor. In fact, just the opposite, which transforms now how I see everyone else. Because I know that while I may love Jesus, while we may love Jesus, apart from Jesus, we are capable of grievous wickedness. We are capable of evil as well. And so we know that we're not saved because we're worthy of saving, but because God is so gracious and merciful. And likewise, we've got to always prefer for God to save the wicked. Always prefer for God to save the wicked. But we've got to be honest, too. He doesn't always save the wicked, right? I mean, good example who, how many people were praying that God would save Hitler, right? <laughs> probably not a lot of people. Most people were probably praying that God would end Hitler. If God doesn't choose to save the wicked, we definitely want him to have mercy on the righteous, those who are being harmed by the wicked. We want him to make it stop. And so now we'll move to Point number three, why do we need to pray curses? I'll give you a few reasons. Because when we don't pray to God against evil, we are prone to blame God for evil. Okay? If we don't turn to God as the one who is actually capable of doing something about it rather than participating in it, then we tend to blame Him for it. Asking God to make right what is wrong is actually an appeal to the character of God. It's going to Him saying that He is good, saying that He is just, saying that He is powerful. Because you'd never go to a wicked king, for example, and ask Him to take down another wicked king, right? Who would you go to? You go to the good king. And we go to God because we know that He is even more opposed to evil than we are. And when we pray this way, it's actually impossible for us to see God as responsible for the wrongs that we see in the world. It's so obvious. It becomes so obvious that these are God's enemies, not, God's, uh, not God himself. Next reason why we need to pray curses. Our true enemies are God's enemies. I'm going to take that statement now and put it into little kid terms, okay? You guys ready? There are definitely some bad guys out there, but they work for an even worse bad guy, okay? So the bad guys that are out there work for an even worse bad guy. We, we've talked about this. There are even, evil spiritual beings behind all evil human beings, evil spiritual beings influencing. Uh, Apostle Paul says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with dark spiritual powers, Right? In fact, someone wrote a song about this that I think illustrates it really well, illustrates what this kind of prayer does. Uh, the great theologian Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, in case you guys don't know, I don't think he wrote it, but he sang this song. It goes like this, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. I'm going to pray till they tear your kingdom down. Pray till they tear your kingdom down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, 
Satan, your kingdom must come down. Kind of awesome, huh? Isn't that kind of an awesome song? I think we should probably, maybe Nick can sing that one for us next week. I don't know. But um, don't you want God's enemies to be taken down? Don't you want Satan to get taken down? Don't you want the kingdom of God to come on earth? If we pray more like this, what would happen? What would happen? I, I think we would trust in God more. I think God's hand would move. I think it would shape us to more and more love what God loves and hate what God hates. So we've got to keep in mind who our true enemy is when we pray curses. Who's really working behind the scenes? And lastly, why we need to pray curses. Because curses are a plea for God to do what he promised at the center of our faith is the promise that God will make right what is wrong. And as Christians, that includes our own wrongs. That's what we celebrate. We love the fact that God in Christ has come and died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He is making right our wrongs, which leads to our salvation. But for those who reject God's grace, it will lead to their own destruction. And God will finish what he started. So we should ask him to. We should ask him to. When injustice goes unchecked, we pray for God to curse the wicked. That's the big idea. I hope you can take that away and get that into your heart as you go from here today. Quick community group kind of two-part question. If your community groups are gathering this summer, if you're still doing questions this summer, have you prayed curses before? Why or why not? And I want to close with an epilogue to the three stories that I started by telling you. Uh, the Ugandan dictator that I mentioned to you, Amin, he, he actually got tied up in a big political mess that ruined his reputation in the international community. And then he was such a fool that he actually took this aggressive decision to invade Tanzania. Uh, uh, offensively. And so he in invaded Tanzania and they counterattacked. They actually captured Uganda's capital and they overthrew him. And he spent the rest of his life, I think it was some 30 years or so, in exile. And so there's a bit of satisfaction in hearing that kind of a story, right? He was removed from power before he did his worst. Another epilogue, that story of John Gagan, by the time that his horrific crimes were made public, many of them were actually beyond the statute of limitations. They couldn't be prosecuted. Uh, but he was eventually tried for his crimes, committed against 86 of his victims. And the diocese settled with them out of court for $10 million. Gagan then was given a 10-year prison sentence. And he goes to serve his sentence, and his cellmate is a guy who is serving a life sentence for murder. And within a year, Gagan's cellmate murdered him too. And so his life was cut short, and that's not true justice. We can't necessarily celebrate that as true justice, but there is a bit of satisfaction knowing that that man cannot commit any more evil. Last epilogue, 
which is still in process, it's still a story that's ongoing. The officers arrested that thir- uh, 33-year-old Joshua Danehauer in connection with the murder of Greg Geiler, or Glier. And that guy, Joshua, is going to be tried in court. Uh, it's pretty, it looks as though this guy's probably guilty. And if he is, Lord willing, he's going to be convicted and spend his life behind bars. But even if each of these wicked people experience a degree of justice in this life, it's never going to undo what they did. In fact, the effects, the the ripple effects of their evil are going to go on for generations. We know this, right? And so while we pray that God would put an end to wickedness, we also know that true and final justice won't happen until Jesus returns. And so until then, we pray. Until then, we we wait. And until then, we hope in Him. We hope in Jesus. So I'd like to close our time. I normally end end a message with a prayer, but I actually want to do a prayer that we read all together, okay? Uh, Most of us have never in our whole lives prayed a prayer of cursing. And so I wanted to kind of create something that we could read together, kind of like we do when we read a prayer of confession together. And so I want to invite you to read this prayer aloud with me, and then we will continue to respond. Nick will, and the team will come up and, and lead us through that. Pray this prayer aloud with me, if you would. Our Father in heaven, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. By your grace, make us righteous and just. Our Father in heaven, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have promised to bring evil to an end. We want to see evil brought to an end. Oh God, we wait. There are still many who in their wickedness, reject your grace. There are many who, in their wickedness, devise injustice and mete out violence on earth. There are many who, in their pride, believe they can oppress the vulnerable forever. O God, will you wait forever? Sweep away the life of autocrats. Silence the mouth of the accuser, still the hand of the abuser. Surely you are God. Surely you will judge the earth. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.